Every family, it is said, has its secrets. If that is true, perhaps no family has secrets as old and as dark as those kept by the lions of Glam's castle. This is Mark Lyon. Welcome to the Other Realm. Throughout my life, I have collected true accounts left to us by those who have inadvertently crossed the invisible threshold from our world into the realm of the supernatural and returned to tell the tale. These are their stories. Glam's Castle the ancient seat of the Scottish Earls of Strathmore and the childhood home of Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, the late Queen Mother, has from its earliest beginnings been the scene of supernatural activity. Tradition holds that when attempts were made in the 11th century to first construct the castle upon the strategically chosen nearby Hunter's Hill, Foundation stones erected there by day were thrown down and broken each night by unseen hands. The hill was said to belong to the fairies. Build not on this enchanted spot where man hath neither part nor lot, but build down in yonder bog where it will neither shake nor shog, an invisible voice is said to have warned. So the castle was eventually built on the lower plain of Dean Water, where, in earlier, more dangerous times, it was protected by moats. One of the earliest ghosts said to haunt Glam's castle is Lady Janet Douglas. Following the death of the sixth Lord Strathmore in 1528, Lady Janet, his beautiful widow, was accused of treason by King James V, who bore an undying grudge against the Douglas family. Although this charge was eventually dropped, in 1537 she was charged with attempting to poison the king and witchcraft. Being convicted upon false confessions obtained by torturing her servants and members of her family, including her own son, she was burned at the stake on Castle Hill in Edinburgh. It is thought that it is she who has often been seen floating above the castle clock tower, engulfed in an appropriate red glow. The castle's chapel is haunted by an unidentified grey lady, who has been seen by many, including the late Queen Mother, her sister, the Dowager Countess Granville, and the 16th Lord Strathmore. Lady Granville was playing music in the chapel one afternoon, when inexplicably she felt that someone was watching her. Lady Granville turned round and saw a little lady in grey kneeling in one of the pews. Although the lady seemed completely substantial, sunlight shining through a window seemed to pass through the figure and down onto the floor. It has been said that some visitors are overcome with an unshakable sense of sadness upon entering the chapel. 
A special seat in the chapel is always kept reserved for the Grey Lady, and a guided glance is said that in all the years she has given tours of the castle, despite the size of the tour group, she has never seen a visitor choose of his own accord to sit in the Grey Lady's seat. But Lady Janet and the Grey Lady are only two of the many ghosts said to haunt the castle. There is the ghost of a butler who hanged himself in the butler's chamber, and the menacing ghostly African servant boy, who it is believed was mistreated, and who has been seen sitting on a small stone chair by the door in one of the late Queen Mother's rooms. The boy is said to trip visitors near the door, and perhaps it is he who is responsible for the ghostly movement of objects and the eerie feeling of being watched in the Queen Mother's suite. And then there is the tall figure draped in a long dark coat fastened at the throat with a clasp who was seen on separate occasions by both Dr. Nicholson, the Dean of Brechin, and the provost of Perth to silently pass through a locked door, only to vanish within a wall. More notable, however, is the heavily bearded man, sometimes identified as Earl Beardy, who has been often seen bending over the beds of children. A Mrs. Madigan, the wife of a former Archbishop of York, wrote to Charles Lindley Wood, the second Viscount Halifax, of the experience of a Mrs. Wingfield, a daughter of Lord Castletown. She was occupying the Blue Room, Mrs. Madigan wrote, but had heard none of the stories about Earl Beardy and his crew of ghosts. She went to bed with the usual nightlight, which was so bright that she read by it before going to sleep. During the night, she awoke with the feeling that someone was in the room, and sitting up in bed, she saw, seated in front of the fire, a huge old man with a long flowing beard. He turned his head and gazed fixedly at her, and then she saw that although his beard rose and fell as he breathed, the face was that of a dead man. She was not particularly alarmed, but unfortunately made no attempt to enter into conversation with her visitor. After a few minutes, he faded away, and she went to sleep again. Dr. Frederick Lee, in The Other World or Glimpses of the Supernatural, quotes a correspondent of his as writing, A lady and her child were staying for a few days at the castle. The child was asleep in an adjoining dressing room, and the lady, having gone to bed, lay awake for a while. Suddenly, a cold blast stole into the room, extinguishing the nightlight by her bedside, but not affecting the one in the dressing room beyond, in which her child had its cot. By that light, she saw a tall, mailed figure pass into the dressing room from that in which she was lying. Immediately thereafter, there was a shriek from the child. Her maternal instinct was aroused. She rushed into the dressing room and found the child in an agony of fear. 
It described what it had seen as a giant who came and leant over its face. A tongueless woman has been seen running across the castle grounds, pointing to her blood-filled mouth, and a guest staying at Glam's once reported seeing late one evening a pale face with sorrowful eyes pressed close against a barred high turret window as if pleading for help. Then, without warning, the face vanished. The guest waited a long time, his gaze fixed firmly on that window, hoping the face might reappear, until, without warning, the silence of the night was pierced by horrifying shrieks. An hour later, this same guest saw a dark, huddled figure carrying something like a bundle emerge below in the moonlight, only to then vanish. Could the deathly pale face he had seen at the barred window be that of the female vampire who, according to legend, was observed sucking the blood from a sleeping guest and was eventually caught and imprisoned in a sealed room for the rest of her unnatural life. Another guest, described as being a lady well-known in London society, highly cultivated and clear-headed, was given a cozy, delightfully furnished, and thoroughly modern suite of rooms for her visit. When asked at breakfast as to how she slept, the lady answered, Well, thanks. Very well, up until four o'clock in the morning. But your Scottish carpenters seem to come to work very early. I suppose they put up their scaffolding quickly, though, for they are quiet now. Her host's face is turned pale, and after a few moments of awkward silence, she was told that there had been no carpenters at the castle for months, and she was asked, if she valued their friendship, to never speak to them of the incident again. She later learned that the sounds of phantom carpenters she had heard foretell the death of a member of the Lion family or some other great calamity. Four in the morning seems to be a favorite hour for the castle ghosts, for Mrs. Madigan also related the following account to Lord Halifax concerning the experiences of a Miss Virginia Gabriel, a prominent singer, popular songwriter, and composer, when Miss Gabriel was a guest at Glam's. She told us a wonderful tale of the first housewarming, Mrs. Madigan wrote, a dance in the new dining room in November 1869, they had all been very merry, and dancing went on until the small hours. The three sets of rooms on the clock landing were occupied by the Streetfields, Lady Strathmore's sister, Mr. and Lady F. Trevanion, Lord Strathmore's sister, and Mr. and Mrs. Monroe from Lindertis. The latter were in the red room, their little boy sleeping in the dressing room, the outer door of which was rather stiff and difficult to open. In the middle of the night, Mrs. Monroe awoke with a sensation as though someone was bending over her. 
Indeed, I have heard that she felt a beard brush her face. The night light having gone out, she called her husband to get up and find the matches. In the pale glimmer of the winter moon, she saw a figure pass into the dressing room. Creeping to the end of the bed, she felt for and found the matchbox and struck a light, calling out loudly, Cam! Cam, I found the matches. To her surprise, she saw that he had not moved from her side. Very sleepily, he grumbled, What are you bothering about? At that moment, they heard a shriek of terror from the child in the dressing room. Rushing in, they found him in great alarm, declaring that he had seen a giant. They took him into their own room, and while quieting him off to sleep, they heard a fearful crash as though a heavy piece of furniture had fallen. At that moment, the big clock struck four. Nothing more happened, and the next morning, Mr. Monroe extracted a reluctant promise from his wife to say nothing about her fright, as the subject was known to be distasteful to their host. However, when breakfast was half over, Fanny Trevanion came down, yawning and rubbing her eyes, and complaining of a disturbed night. She always slept with a night light, and had her little dog with her on her bed. The dog, she said, had awakened her by howling. The night light had gone out, and while she and her husband were hunting for matches, they heard a tremendous crash, followed by the clock striking four. They were so frightened they could not sleep again. Of course, this was too much for Mrs. Monroe, who burst out with her story. No explanation was offered, and the three couples agreed on the following night to watch in their respective rooms. Nothing was seen, but they all heard the same loud crash and rushed out to the landing. As they stood there with scared faces, the clock again struck four. That was all, and the noise was not heard again. There was once a bedroom door in the castle, which was known to open by itself every night, despite being locked or bolted or heavy furniture being pushed up against it. Finally, it was decided to demolish the wall in which it stood and remove the door to another location in the castle, where, by all accounts, it now remains shut. And then there is the room said to be haunted by the wicked Earl Beardy. Although the legend has been told in many different ways over the centuries, the most oft-told version goes something like this. Following a day on which he had been forced to remain inside due to severely inclement weather, as the storm raged that night, Earl Beardy determined to pass the evening gambling. As this was a Sunday, the ladies of the castle were fervently engaged in their devotions, and none of the servants could be induced to desecrate the Sabbath. Enraged that his chaplain had also refused him, calling cards the devil's bricks, 
the earl brandished a pack of cards and swore in a loud voice that he would be willing to play with the devil himself as he stormed off to his private chamber it was not long before he heard a knock on his chamber door in the foul fiend's name enter whoever ye are earl beardy is said to have bellowed a tall dark stranger handsomely dressed in scottish bonnet and cloak entered the chamber sat in the empty chair across the table from his host and proposed that they play for the highest possible stakes if the earl were to lose and be unable to pay his debt he agreed to sign a bond for whatever the stranger might choose to ask the playing commenced, and throughout the night frequent, loud, and violent curses were heard emanating from both the earl and the stranger within the chamber. The servants were terrified, and when the ancient butler dared approach the door and peek through the keyhole, the stranger screamed, Smite that eye! Flames shot through the keyhole, the butler was thrown backwards onto the floor screaming. The door flew open. The earl emerged in a rage, demanding that they kill anyone who dared leave while he returned to the chamber to settle accounts with the stranger. Upon re-entering the chamber, the earl was astonished to discover that the stranger had vanished. The earl's bond was said to have been paid in full five years later when the wicked earl died. Tradition has it that the earl is condemned to gamble with the devil till the day of judgment, and from that day on the sounds of eternal gambling and terrible curses were said to be heard ringing out from within the empty chamber. Dr. Lee quotes a correspondent as writing, There is no doubt about the reality of the noises at Glam's Castle. On one occasion, some years ago, the head of the family, with several companions, was determined to investigate the cause one night, when the disturbance was greater and more violent and alarming than usual. His lordship went to the haunted room, opened the door with the key, and dropped back in a dead swoon into the arms of his companions. Nor could he ever be induced to open his lips on the subject afterwards. There may, however, be a more likely reason for the cries and curses which rang out from the room. An accomplished antiquarian who has investigated this subject, Dr. Lee informs us, writes as follows. There is a tradition that in olden times, during one of the frequent feuds between the Lindsays and the Ogilvies, a large number of the latter, in flying from their enemies, came to Glam's and claimed hospitality. The master of the castle did not like to deny them the protection of his castle walls. He therefore admitted them, and on plea of hiding them, is reported to have put them in this out-of-the-way chamber. There he let them starve, and it is said that their bones lie there unto this day, the bodies never having been buried. This may have been the sight which startled the late Lord Strathmore on entering the haunted room. 
A large number of skeletons lying in the various parts of the place was a sight calculated to startle any man, and these are declared to be particularly revolting. Some had apparently died in the act of gnawing the flesh off their own arms. Though the haunted room was eventually walled off, frightening sounds thought to issue from the haunted room have continued into modern times. Florence Foster, a cook at the castle, swore to the late parapsychologist Peter Underwood that she had heard the rattling of dice, the stamping of feet, loud angry voices, and other inexplicable noises coming from somewhere within the castle while she would huddle in fear in her bed at night. And then, finally, there is the unsolved mystery of the hidden chamber of Glam's castle, a carefully guarded secret which tradition holds is or was for generations known only to three men at any one time, the Earl of Strathmore, his heir, and the estate manager, known as the Factor. John Ingram, in The Haunted Homes and Family Traditions of Great Britain, writes, on the night before he attains his twenty-first birthday, the heir is solemnly initiated into the terrible mystery by the reigning earl and his factor, and this secret he has to preserve until the majority of his own son, or, if he remains sonless, till the coming of age of his heir presumptive, until the appointment of another factor to the property. England quotes an authority as stating that each time the Strathmore heir approached his 21st birthday, there is generally much talk about the old story being exploded at last. Gay gallants in lace ruffles, bows, bucks, bloods, and dandies have, until their 21st birthdays, made light of the family mystery, and some have gone so far as to make after-dinner promises to hoist the old ghost with his own petard and tell the whole stupid story in the smoking-room at night after the coming-of-age humbug was all over. This promise has been made more than once, but it has never been kept. No heir to the Strathmore peerage has revealed the secret. On the morrow, when we all looked for an explanation of the terrible mystery, they were all met with a courteous but cold refusal, a simple statement that the rash promise was impossible, a request to say no more about it, and thus the matter has ended. Virginia Gabriel reported that after his being initiated into the secret, Claude Bowes Lyon, the 13th Earl of Strathmore, was quite a changed man, silent and moody, with an anxious, scared look on his face. Immediately after learning the secret, he told his wife, My dearest, you know how often we have joked over the secret room and the family mystery. I have been into the room. I have heard the secret. And if you wish to please me, you will never mention the subject to me again. I can only say that if you could even guess the nature of this castle secret, you would get down on your knees 
and thank God it was not yours. So evident was the effect on him, as Gabriel added, that his son, when he became of age in 1876, absolutely refused to be initiated into the secret. Of course, from time to time, attempts were made to solve the mystery. The British diplomat, Sir Horace Rumbold, told of how, in 1850, the wife of the twelfth earl one day took advantage of her husband's being away for a day or two on business by enlisting her guests in a hunt for the secret chamber. The coast being clear, Rumbold writes, somebody hit on the ingenious device of opening the windows all over the castle and hanging out of each of them a sheet or towel or pocket handkerchief and thus marking them all. The secret chamber, it was said, had a window. Any aperture left unmarked would therefore reveal its position. No sooner said than done. The band joyeuse promptly invaded every room that was accessible, and innumerable white signals were soon fluttering in the summer breeze when Lord Strathmore unexpectedly returned. The result, it is said, a painful scene in which he bitterly reproached his wife for treating so lightly and seeking to discover what she well knew was a solemn secret deeply affecting the family fortune. Varying accounts state that anywhere from one to four windows were observed to be closed and without either a towel or a handkerchief. Not long after this incident, the Earl divorced his wife. That something of extraordinary importance was being concealed within the castle seems beyond dispute. In her correspondence with Lord Halifax, Mrs. Madigan wrote, Unquestionably, there is something strange about this place. The chaplain told me that he felt this more and more the longer he lived there, while the factor, Mr. Ralston, a dry, shrewd, hard-headed Scotsman, after he had been initiated into the secret, could never be induced to sleep in the castle. One winter evening, when he had come up for the theatricals, a sudden snowstorm came on, and the road back to his home appeared impassable. However, he resolutely refused to spend the night on a sofa, and insisted on rousing the gardeners and stablemen to dig out a path to his house nearly a mile off outside the park. Lady Strathmore herself told me that she once disclosed to Mr. Ralston her great curiosity about the mystery. He looked earnestly at her and said very gravely, Lady Strathmore, it is fortunate that you do not know it and can never know it, for if you did, you would not be a happy woman. Such a speech from such a man was certainly uncanny. To this she added, Claude made a good many alterations and improvements at the castle, one being a staircase from the lower hall or crypt, as it was called, to the chapel, 
which had previously been accessible only through the great drawing-room. One day, when the family were in London, a man working in, I think, the chapel, came upon a door opening up a long passage. He went some way down it, then became alarmed, and went back and told the clerk of the works. Immediately, all the work was stopped, and the head man telegraphed to Claude in London and to Mr. Dundas, the lawyer in Edinburgh. Both arrived by the earliest possible train and subjected the workman to a severe examination as to what he had or had not seen, the end of it being that he and his family were subsidized and induced to immigrate. A doctor who was staying in the castle in his professional capacity one day noticed that a carpet in his room had been moved. Curious, he took up the carpet and discovered a trap-door in the floor. The door opened onto a passageway which he explored until he reached a wall of fresh, still-wet cement. The following morning, he was presented with a check for his services and informed that a carriage was waiting to whisk him back to the train station. So what carefully guarded secret is hidden away within the secret chamber? In a 1908 letter to the scholarly British journal Notes and Queries, a correspondent wrote, Many readers of Notes and Queries have doubtless heard of the mystery of glands. It was told to the present writer some sixty years ago when he was a boy, it had made a great impression on him. The story was, and is, that in the castle of Glams is a secret chamber. In this chamber is confined a monster, who is the rightful heir to the title and property, but who is so unpresentable that it is necessary to keep him out of sight and out of possession. Modern research suggests that the monster legend may indeed be true. Records state that on October 21, 1821, a male heir was born to the 11th Earl of Strathmore and that the child died on that same day. It is speculated, however, that the child did not die, but was born so severely deformed that he could never carry out the duties of an earl, and, as it was assumed he would not live long, was said to have died and hidden away from public view. However, it seems that the child lived for approximately a hundred years. James Wentworth Day, author of The Queen Mother's Family Story, and who was given access to all of the family papers, wrote, A monster was born into the family. He was the heir, a creature fearful to behold. It was impossible to allow this deformed caricature of humanity to be seen, even by their friends. His chest was an enormous barrel, hairy as a doormat. His head ran straight into his shoulders, and his arms and legs were toy-like. 
This unfortunate real heir to Glam's was said to have been extremely strong and allowed to take exercise in a part of the castle roof known as the Mad Earl's Walk. Whether this story is true or merely legend, we will never know. The 16th Earl claimed to know not a thing about the family secret. It may have died with my father or with my brother who was killed in the war, he told Wentworth Day. Wentworth Day asked Queen Elizabeth's aunt, Lady Rose Granville, about the secret. She looked serious, he remembered, was silent for a moment, and then said, We were never allowed to talk about it when we were children. Our parents forbade us ever to discuss the matter or to ask any questions about it. My father and my grandfather refused absolutely to discuss it. The Other Realm is a production of Wind Whistle Theatre. Our music was composed by Dan Heflin. Support for The Other Realm has been provided by HauntedIsles.com, offering private and small group tours of haunted Britain and Ireland, and by Wind Whistle Press, publishers of everything you ever wanted to know about ghosts but were afraid to ask by Mark Lyon and San Francisco Ghosts by Mark Lyon and Jesse Adelaide Middleton's classic trilogy of true tales of the supernatural, the White Ghost Book, the Grey Ghost Book, and its sequel, Another Grey Ghost Book, and Lep Castle, The House of Horrors, by Mildred Darby, and by Heftone Studios, producers of Phantoms of the Holbrook, a docudrama relating true events occurring at what well may be the most haunted hotel in the entire world, and Natalie, a modern retelling of the German legend of the Lorelei.